Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Fans First Sports Network listeners, welcome to episode 12 of The Call Sheet. This is actually episode 12, take two of The Call Sheet because about 10 minutes ago I sat down to record the show and I was about 30 seconds in when this ridiculous racket from the back of my house emerged and it was so loud I actually had to stop recording and go out and see what was going on and there was a pretty impressive dog fight happening in the alley behind my house to uh two people walking their dogs and the uh, the dogs got into it pretty good so <laughs> I didn't think we could keep dog fight noises in the background of the uh, of the call sheet here so so I had to stop and start again and by the way no dogs were hurt in the recording of the call sheet so as a public service announcement put everybody's minds at ease tensions were relieved and everybody moved on and I'm back now here to do a full show episode 12 of our humble little show which uh, tries to blend current NFL news with a coach's perspective on how football works. And I'm your host, Kevin Smith. I'm a writer and podcaster here at FFSN and also the head coach of the Ocean City Red Raiders, a high school in southern New Jersey, where we just kicked off our 2023 season, or at least the uh, football in shorts part of it anyway. So we're holding our June mini camp this week. And we finished that up today, and now we're off for a little bit, and I'm going to take a little vacation with my family, which means there will be no call sheet next week. So let's make the most out of this show. Okay, and I think the topic will help. I think the topic is a good one because today we're going to talk about the broader question of what makes a great NFL offense. 
And within that broader question, we're going to examine the value of explosive plays in the NFL. What is an explosive play? Why are they so important? How do teams create them? And we'll look at some of the most explosive offenses in the league and at the correlation between big plays and scoring. And so here's a spoiler alert. It may not come as a surprise that the teams who create the most explosive plays are generally the best offenses in the league. But how they create them and why they're of such value is really interesting. And that's what we're going to spend most of our time talking about today. So to begin, let's look at the big picture first. What creates a great offense? For a long time in in the NFL and really in football in general, because it, it really started in college football, the answer to that question was a great rushing attack. When you think about the old black and white film that you see of football, in the uh, leather helmet and no face mask days. Everybody was running the ball. They were generally running in a, in a big cloud because fields weren't, weren't really well kept. So you had this dust cloud. And the image of sort of Newt Rockney's Notre Dame teams come to mind. And later on in the NFL, old images of Jim Brown and Gail Sayers. Running backs were clearly the stars of the show at that time. But... By the time we got to the 1970s, the rules started to change to make it easier for passing. The Mel Blunt rule, which was implemented in 1977, made it illegal for defensive backs to chuck wide receivers more than five yards down the field. And that allowed receivers to free themselves up of defensive contact, made passing the ball easier. And then you got further along into the 1980s and early 90s, and you had innovative offensive minds like Bill Walsh begin to create schemes that made passing them all more efficient. Like for example, the West coast offense, something most people have heard of that was, that was built on short passes and getting the ball out of a quarterback's hand quickly. And also using the horizontal passing game to stretch defenses across the field as much as the vertical vertical passing game to expand their depth. And this increased completion percentages and it reduced interceptions and sacks and it protected quarterbacks. The West Coast offense was really the first huge step forward towards the passing revolution that would overtake football and lead to the way in which we see offenses run today. And a short while later, Hal Mummy and Mike Leach introduced the air raid offense And that expanded the passing game even further and really led us to the era in which we're in today. So with that in mind, the key now to having an effective, not just effective, but a great offense is a franchise quarterback. Few teams in the league can make a serious playoff run without one. I mean, occasionally, occasionally you'll get a team with a mediocre quarterback who either gets hot at the right moment, like Nick Foles, in Philly in 2017, or a guy who's just good enough to hold down the fort and maybe make a big play when he has to. I think about Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer in Baltimore or Brad Johnson in Tampa Bay. But those guys aside, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks over the last 20 years, it reads like a who's who of some of the best to ever play the position. Mahomes, Stafford, Brady, Peyton Manning, Russell Wilson, Eli Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, those are the, those are your Super Bowl winning quarterbacks over the last 20 years. And again, 
pretty much not all of them, but for the most part, Hall of Fame quarterbacks and at worst pro bowlers. But today, having a great quarterback is only part of the equation. It's more like the baseline of expectation if you want your offense to be great. To really take that offense to the next level, it has to create explosive plays. And explosive plays are sort of the football version of home runs in baseball, right? When I, when I think about explosive plays and home runs, I think back to that great ESPN commercial from the 1990s with the Braves pitchers. I think it was Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. And they were doing a chicks dig the long ball series of commercials. I think they were in the midst of the, uh, the steroid era and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were, were hitting like 400 home runs a season. But it's true that there's something very appealing about the big play, no matter what sport it is. And in football, explosive plays by an offense and on the flip side, prohibiting them from a defense are integral to success. So let, let's offer a definition. Explosive plays are, depending on who you talk to, can be defined in various ways. But for the most part, they're defined as runs of 12 yards or more and passes of 20 yards or more. And to give you an idea as to their importance, consider this. The average scoring drive in the NFL last year consisted of about six and a half plays, 6.56 plays per drive to be exact. And the average starting field position in the NFL last year was the minus 33-yard line or your own 33. So that means, and again, this is on average, that means on average teams went 67 yards to score in six and a half plays per drive or an average of almost 11 uh, yards per play. So scoring then was nearly impossible if you didn't create explosive plays. And the reason for this is that driving the field deliberately, making gains of three, four, five, six yards all the way down the field, it, that's just too hard in the NFL. Defenses are just too good to consistently make five, six yards and to not be able to recover from a loss on a play. If your offensive philosophy is to incrementally move the ball in gains of four and five yards, but then a defense manages to knife through and drop a ball carrier for a two-yard loss and you get behind the chains, which is a phrase that you hear people use a lot, which simply means put you off schedule, put you in a long yarded situation that doesn't allow you to stay on the play menu that you prefer. Then teams that are non-explosive have a really hard time recovering from those types of, from those types of situations. To give you an example, right, as to why explosives are so important and why moving the ball incrementally can be so difficult, or in other words, trying to score without them. Consider this quote from Connor McQuiston of the, the, the really good uh, NFL website, the 3013. Connor McQuiston wrote, since 2010, only roughly one of every 10 drives with no explosives has ended in a score. While that rate triples when an offense has even a single explosive play. Once an offense has two explosives, they have better than a 50% chance to score and it only increases from there. This is extremely strong evidence that explosives are incredibly valuable. 
offenses generally need explosives to score. And if they want to be confident that they'll score on a drive, they need multiple explosives. So really interesting stuff, man. Really, really interesting there. One, only one out of every 10 drives over the past 13 years have ended in touchdowns without an explosive play involved. So long story short, you want to score, you better be able to create them. Some more examples as to their value. When we consider touchdowns scored from outside the red zone last year, meaning touchdowns that teams scored from beyond the 20-yard line in a single play. The Philadelphia Eagles led the league with 17 such plays. They had 17 such plays. They actually tied, I should say, for the league league with the Las Vegas Raiders. And then at 16, you had San Francisco and Seattle. At 15, you had Buffalo. At 12, you had Cincinnati. Some of the better offenses in the NFL were able to score from outside the red, red zone, essentially creating explosive plays. But if you want to think about non-touchdown plays, right? Explosive plays in general that didn't necessarily involve explosives. It's the Eagles, again, who led the NFL last year with 151 explosive plays. And when you look at the top 10, it's really amazing because it's a who's who of the best offenses in the NFL. Philly at number one in terms of explosive plays, 151. Buffalo at number two. Kansas City at number three. San Francisco at number four. Those four teams, the the four teams who led the NFL in explosive plays, were also the four teams that made it to the conference championships. They were your final four of the NFL last year. If you flip that chart and you look at the teams with the least explosive plays, only one of the bottom eight, Tampa Bay, made the playoffs. Of the bottom eight teams, which included Houston, Chicago, Arizona, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, only the Bucs made the playoffs. And the Bucs made the playoffs with an 8-9 record because the NFC South stunk. So obviously the ability to create those explosive plays is linked directly to success and qualifying for the playoffs. If you factor in the importance of a defense keeping explosives from happening, you look at the differential between offense and defense. Again, the top four teams were Philly, Buffalo, Kansas City, San Francisco, your final four. And of uh, any, any team, by the any team that had a differential of plus 25 or better, there were seven such teams, made the playoffs. So if you, if you had created 25 more explosive plays than you allowed last year, you made the playoffs. That seems to be the benchmark for where a team wants to get. Long story short, if you can create explosive plays, you have a much better chance of scoring touchdowns. And in the bigger picture, if you can combine that with limiting the explosives that you give up, you have an incredibly elevated chance of making the playoffs. Okay, now that we've established the importance of creating explosives, let's look at how they're created. The popular thinking on this subject is generally that you throw the ball deep. You throw bombs to studs like Justin Jefferson or Stefan Diggs. And you know, those are bad ideas. Everybody likes a good long ball, and it seems to be the most direct way to score. Air it out, throw the deep ball. But defensive coordinators tend to worry about those things, and they tend to scheme to take them away. 
So to create explosives, offenses generally have to get more nuanced than simply chucking up a bunch of nine rounds. So what we're going to do is on the other side of the break, we're going to take a break real quick. And then what we're going to do after the break is to turn our attention to the most effective ways that teams create explosives. Yes, occasionally you can hit a nice deep ball, a nice nine round, but more so you're going to have to get dig a little deeper into the playbook and scheme a little bit harder. And on the other side, that's what we'll turn our attention to. How do NFL offenses create the explosives necessary for success? So come on back after the break. Kevin Smith back here on the call sheet. And we are talking explosive plays and their importance to an offense. Why explosive plays lead to more scoring and In this segment, we're going to talk about how the better offenses in the NFL create those explosive plays. So let's start with the most obvious way, and and that is by dialing up coverage beaters or routes designed to attack the weaknesses in various coverages in order to create chunk plays. Every offensive coordinator in America, high school, college pros, spends lots and lots of time on the whiteboard drawing up various schemes to counteract the defensive schemes that that their opponents come up with. And you can get as creative as you want. Whether or not you can execute that stuff is going to lead to its effectiveness. I mean, we can all draw whatever we want on the whiteboard, but it's not what we can do on the whiteboard, but what our players can do on the field that make the difference. But there are some tried and true schemes that have been effective historically against various coverages so let's start with cover two for example which is probably the most popular coverage in the nfl for those who aren't aren't sure cover two is a is a defensive coverage with two high safeties who essentially play half the field and they're responsible for the two deep halves of the field and then you generally depending on how many rushers that you're bringing have four or five underneath defenders who divide the field into quarters or fifths and police the underneath routes. I mean, cover two is a really good coverage if you want to try to disrupt underneath routes and if you want to be able to disguise coverage. A lot of defenses will will rotate out of cover two into other looks. Two high shell, probably the most popular NFL coverage. So if you're an offensive coordinator and you want to try to beat cover two, the first thing you have to do is recognize the weaknesses in the coverage. And with only two deep defenders, there are two traditional weaknesses that lend themselves to chunk plays. And those are the deep outside quarters of the field, essentially the the, the areas in the pro game from the numbers to the sideline or just inside the numbers to the sideline in the high school game and the college game because of the wide hashes, it would be from the hash to the sideline. Because in a traditional cover two scheme, the safety has to get from the middle half of the field all the way to the sideline to cover those routes. And one of the most effective routes that you can throw against cover two that often leads to chunk plays is what's often referred to as the smash concept. And the the smash concept can be run lots and lots of different ways. But one of the most popular ways to run it is to simply 
run a two-man combination where the outside receiver, the receiver closest to the sideline, runs some sort of a hitch anywhere, depending on, on how teams want to scheme it. Uh, as deep I've seen hitches or dropout routes, which is an outside breaking route to the sideline, as deep as 14 yards, as shallow as 10. But the, the outside receiver is bursting up the field, and then somewhere around 10 yards is making a brief in-cut or out-cut. And the, the receiver attacking the weakness in the defense is the number two receiver or the slot receiver. It can be done with a quick tight end as well. And that receiver bursts to about 10 or 12 yards. And then when they make their break, they're running to the corner of the end zone. They're taking an angle either to the near pylon or the far pylon, defending, depending on the depth of the safety. And essentially what you're asking that safety to do is backpedal and then burst to the sideline and get over top of that route before the quarterback can drop it in uh, in front of the boundary. So smash has proven to be against loose cover two, a really effective route. So another, another explosive play teams use against cover two is some sort of a divide concept. If you can figure out how to run those corner routes and pull those safeties wide and then get a third receiver up the middle of the seam, right up the middle of the field, Sometimes teams will try to do it with a running back out of the backfield. That generally takes pretty long to develop. Other times they may do it out of an empty set. But if you can get two corner routes pulling the safeties towards the boundary and then get a third receiver up the middle of the field, that can be really effective against cover two because obviously the middle of the field in that situation is undefended. Teams have gone to – defenses have gone to the Tampa two. Look, Tampa two is – the uh, the the defense made popular by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tony Dungy back in the day where you'd get an athletic linebacker and he would sink down the middle of the field. Teams still run it at all levels of football today. And essentially you're trying to fill the void left by those wide safeties with a linebacker who's now essentially running down the middle of the field. So explosive plays against cover three, which is another really popular NFL coverage, uh, in cover three, you now have, have, as the coverage suggests, three deep defenders. You have a safety who's responsible for the middle third of the field, and then two other defenders, predominantly corners, responsible for the deep outside thirds. So essentially in cover three, you're dividing the deep he- uh, part of the field into thirds and the underneath then into quarters, where you'll probably have four underneath defenders taking care of the underneath routes. And the big weakness in cover three is four verticals. So teams that get into two by two sets like to run four receivers deep and they'll run their outside receivers up the sideline to draw the corners wide. And then they're going to try to put two receivers up the seams and get a two on one on that deep middle safety. And you've probably seen it lots and lots of times. The quarterback will drop back. He'll look to his right, look to his right. And then all of a sudden he comes back to his left. And he throws up the left seam. And that's usually a four verticals concept. Teams can run that out of three by one looks too. offenses can do it out of three by one when they take the third receiver and they just run him across the field to the opposite hash. So essentially he may line up on one side of the line of scrimmage and wind up running his deep route to the opposite seam. And it puts him in the same spot inevitably as if he would uh, where he was as if it were two by two. And again, that's another effective way to try to beat cover three. 
you also see post wheel. That's a really popular one. I know, I know anybody who's played Madden loves post wheel. Post wheel is uh, a combination where your outside receiver runs a post route. And what you're hoping to do is to get the corner who's responsible for the deep third to start to sync with him meaning move towards the post or the middle of the field. And then you're going to take a flat runner, maybe the number two receiver who, who's going to start out running into the flat. And you're going to turn him up the sideline and essentially try to dump the ball up the sideline in that area where the deep outside third defender has vacated. So those are really popular uh, explosive play designs against cover two and cover three. And then if you get into cover one, which is man to man, man, man covered underneath with a single high safety kind of back there as a center fielder providing help. The most popular explosive play against cover one are long crossing routes, because when you get a defender who's in man coverage and he's backed off at six yards, it's really hard for that defender to now run horizontally on a deep cross especially when you have crossers coming back at him from the other direction and that, and he's having to navigate clutter and go under or over top of bodies that are moving around the field. And as the receiver crosses the field, he climbs, you see a lot of explosive plays out of cover one on these long crossers. Y cross is a really popular design where they hit that receiver in stride and he's able to run after the catch. And they often, turn 15, 18 yard receptions into 25, 30 yard plays. So cover one, right? Again, man, make those defenders move horizontally, make them run through clutter. You'll see teams now motion back and forth across the field. They'll motion a slot from right to left. Now the defenders got to run with them. And then the, then that slot receiver will on the snap of the ball, come back and cross the field in the opposite direction. Awful lot of clutter again for that defender to navigate. Of course, you know, those are those are your your common coverages, three, cover one, cover two, cover three. Of course, having a dude still really helps, meaning when you got a receiver who's just great and essentially is good enough that you can kind of scheme him anywhere you want to, that obviously helps things. I was at the Philadelphia Pittsburgh game this past October, a game in which the Eagles won 35-13, and they won that game largely because the Steelers simply had no answer for A.J. Brown. They didn't have anybody who could defend A.J. Brown. And Brown scored three touchdowns in that game. One of the first one, and, and our seats were actually, you know, in the, in the one corner of the end zone where that touchdown was scored, so we got a great view of it. It was just a straight go route, and Pittsburgh had him bracketed with a corner, Akella Witherspoon, and one of the best safeties in the NFL in Minka Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick, they just ran a nine route, which is a straight go route. And Jalen Hurts threw it up. And A.J. Brown went up and got it. And Minka Fitzpatrick was in great position. It looked like he was going to make a play on the ball, knock it down, maybe even intercept it. And A.J. Brown just out-muscled him and wrestled it away for about a 38-yard touchdown pass. And Brown caught a couple other deep balls for touchdowns as well in that game. And again, man, if you have that guy, you can create explosive plays just based solely on that individual's sheer talent and athleticism. But a lot of teams don't have that guy and they don't have that ability. Uh, so what do they do? What do those teams do if you're just if you just don't have a dude who, who can go up and get it? There are more nuanced ways to create explosive plays. And some of the best offensive coordinators, uh, offense coordinators in the game are turning increasingly to these measures. So I'm going to give you some examples with some stats 
based off of the 2021 season. I don't have any stats for 2022, but I'm sure these are all very relevant, right? So one way to create explosive plays is by varying your formation width. The, the most explosive formation in the NFL in 2021 came with the width of the receivers at 18 yards from the widest receiver on the left to the widest receiver on the right. If you factor in that the offensive line, given their normal splits, is about seven yards across, that leaves you 11 yards or about five and a half yards on each side of the ball, which means the widest receiver on either side of the ball was no more than five and a half yards from the offensive tackle or tight end. So essentially, what are we talking about here? We're talking about compressed sets, bunch sets, short stacks where the receivers are, in a, are, are tightly bound. And that formation width, by reducing the field like that, you compress the defense and you create a lot of space to the boundary. And teams have gotten really good at using compressed formations to get the ball outside, whether in the run game, it's on outside zone plays, in the passing game, it's by throwing the ball on outcuts, corner routes, anything that attacks all of that green grass towards the sidelines. Now, the opposite philosophy, that can be effective as well because the third most explosive formation in 2021 had receivers at a width of 45 yards, meaning the widest receiver on the left of the field was 45 yards from the widest receiver on the right of the field. Now, football field is only 53 yards uh, in width altogether, so that means that by spreading the receivers from nearly sideline to sideline, you stretch a defense and now you can exploit some of those seams up the middle, up the hashes, run those long crossers, et cetera. And that led to a lot of explosive plays as well. So varying the width of formations, not lining up in these static formations where the receivers are essentially the same width all the time is a great way to create explosive plays. So too is pre-snap motion. Really interesting statistic here, right? In 2021, 14% of the plays that used pre-snap motion wound up uh, in explosive plays. And only 10% of plays that used no pre-snap motion led to explosive plays. Now, 4% is not a significant difference. Again, 14% of plays using pre-snap motion created explosive plays versus 10% without. 4% is not that much of a difference. But if you run 80 plays in a game, 4% means that about two of them are going to wind up being explosive plays. And if you think back to the first half of, of our show, the first segment, when we were talking about drives that have explosive plays and how often they result in touchdowns, if you get two extra explosive plays per game, you're going to score more points. So more pre-snap motion tends to lead to more points. Now, what does that pre-snap motion do? Like, why is that? Why does the pre-snap motion lead to more points? The simple explanation is because it destroys the structure of a defense. Defenses line up in a, in a pre-snap look with a pre-snap structure that's sound against the way the offense lines up. But once the offense starts moving around, the defense has to adjust on the fly. They got to figure out how they want to make their adjustment. And if they don't adjust soundly, then it can leave voids in the defense that an offense exploits. So by so by essentially destroying the pre-snap structure of the defense and causing a defense to have to communicate and scramble and fit themselves up again, 
offenses can generally exploit them in a way that leads to some explosive plays. A third way, play action. Similar statistic. In 2021, about 15%, 15.5%, I should say, of plays that used play action were explosive as compared to 11% of plays without play action that were explosive. So again, 4.5% difference there. Over the course of an NFL game, you run 80 offensive plays, 4.5% may grant you an additional two explosives. So that's another great way to do it. All right, so why then are uh, play action passes or play action plays in general effective at creating explosives? Similar reason as to why pre-snap motion is. Again, you are getting defenses out of their traditional fits. So you run play action, for example. Let's say say that you're going to pull a guard and you're going to fake a sweep to your running back. Most linebackers are really good guard readers and they they have what's called a dual read where they're going to read through the guard to the near back. And when the guard pulls and goes to his right, for example, and the back flows to his right as well, well, that linebacker is moving with them. That linebacker is flowing with them. So now you get that linebacker flowing in one direction and then you sneak a tight end behind that linebacker moving in the opposite direction a natural void has been created and teams will throw into that void and you get a nice catch and run opportunity for that tight end or that slot receiver. You're destroying the structure of the defense. Whereas in a drop back pass, when that guard on the snap of the ball simply kicks and, and gets into his pass set, the backer is dropping right into that hook curl zone. So the play action run pulled that backer out of the hook curl and you exploited it by throwing the deep crossing route whereas the non-play action play did not, and the backers sitting right in that area. And you can think of countless examples where that's being done. That's really in vogue now with the RPO, which I talked about on a previous issue of the call sheet, episode of the call sheet, I should say. Um, so play action and play action, you know, the, the, the cousins of it, so to speak, the RPO, are really effective. Okay, so thank you, by the way, to Matt Edwards at StatsBomb for providing most of those numbers and those statistics, uh, a lot of the information that I pulled there in terms of the numbers specifically came from an article Matt wrote, which was really excellent. All right. So to conclude, you know, the best offenses in the NFL are really good at creating explosive plays. And the best ways to create those explosive plays come through varying alignment and formation width, using pre-snap motion and play action. And one thing I didn't mention, which I should mention now, throwing intermediate depth passes. That's another another consideration because we mentioned a lot there about crossers and those types of things. They tend to hit at somewhere in the range of 15 to 20 yards. Those passes are better at creating explosive plays because they're simply easier to complete. They got a higher completion percentage because they're shorter throws. But by moving and displacing the defense or finding the weaknesses in a zone or or shaking man coverage by running across the field through a bunch of clutter, you give receivers catch and run opportunities. And they turn those 17, 18 yard receptions into 25 and 30 yard gains because of the yards they make after the catch. So that's another key there as well. Again, formation width, pre-snap motion, play action, and really targeting those intermediate zones, which create 
higher completion percentages than bombing the ball down the field on nine routes. All right, take all that information and send an email to your favorite offensive coordinator, right? Whatever your favorite team is, email that offense coordinator and be like, hey, man, here's the, here's the numbers. Here's how we do it. Let's get on this stuff. But, you know, don't email the Eagles, man, because 151 explosive plays for them last year is an amazing number. Okay, that's our that's our show this week, man. That's the call sheet. And, you know, I'm going to be off next week. I'm going on a little family vacation, taking uh, taking the family truckster uh, out there and, uh, you know, my own little personal Griswold crew. And we're going to be gone for a little bit. I'll talk all about that when I come back, because that's always exciting to, to pack the family up. And I, and I, I'm going, I'm not going to say where I'm going. I'll keep that a secret, but uh, I got, I got a little bit of an NFL mission. I'm going to be really curious to see uh, the interest in the NFL, where I'm going. And, and when, whenever I can, I'm going to grab some of the locals and talk about it with them. So I'll have that to report on when I come back. In the meantime, if you are taking some time off in the summer, enjoy. Uh, this is a little bit of the dead period now where mini camps, kind of fall away and you get don't get much NFL news between now and training camp. So enjoy your time off because it's all going to heat up soon. And we're going to cover it in great detail, detail here on Fans First and especially on this show on the call sheet. So have a great uh, couple weeks, everybody, and I'll, I'll be back soon. God bless. 